Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight. You are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Imagine a world where every room you step into, everyone there knows your name. You show up and people you've never met greet you as if events couldn't get started until you got there. Hey, Al. Hey, Carol. How's it going? It's a strange phenomenon to be recognized so immediately, so personally. Every room, be it four people or 40. Your stock has gone public. Everyone has seen a picture of you and knows you by name. Of course, I'm not talking about you becoming rich and famous. I'm simply referring to life in Zoom meeting rooms. It's weird to show up in a meeting for the first time, and before you've introduced yourself, everyone already knows you. Your name is out there. Oh, look, okay, Garrett's here. Let's get started. Yeah, hi everyone, I'm Garrett. Here we are, all having tiny tastes of stardom every day. Do you not know? Have you not heard? It is the Lord who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. It's naming I want to think about with you this morning and all that goes with it in terms of Honor in the honoring of people's particularity, their uniqueness. Honoring particularity is a high Christian calling, a high and hard one. Naming is a difficult matter, said T.S. Eliot. He was talking about the naming of cats, but it's true of uh, the naming of all creatures and humans especially when the intention is really to get at their irreducible quiddity. What another poet in the same English tradition, Gerard Manley Hopkins, would call their arch-especial spirit, the forged features of each person and thing, their individual markings and modelings. Both Eliot and Hopkins stood in a tradition that runs back through centuries of intellectual life, a tradition which mistrusts the value of universal concepts, general principles, and wants to meditate on the actual present individual, wants not to generalize, but to name. The naming of cats and humans is a difficult matter not just because it's hard to get right, but because it carries demands and obligations with it. To know a cat's name, to go with Eliot for a second here, is to be in relationship with it. And from that point on, it's no merely anonymous cat. You can't overlook its needs in the same way as you might have been able to do before. To have a name is to be in relationship. To know another's name is to know and honor their story, to have your life bound up with theirs. 
Names give you a responsibility, a duty, and a task to be attentive to another. All three of our readings this morning constitute a magnificent celebration of naming, of particularity. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 40 that Fiona read for us. In this passage, we hear the words of God to a people who are rediscovering over and over again the miracle of their deliverance. Unexpected and decisive deliverance. The sudden permission to return from exile in Babylon to their own land, it bursts upon them wholly unexpectedly like a desert dawn. And they're reminded again of the exodus, because this return is like a second exodus. And that in turn looks to them like a sort of recapitulation of creation itself, when God drew the world into being from what was just a void. This section of the book of Isaiah loves to draw these links. Out of a situation where there was no identity, writes one theologian, out of a situation where there was no identity, where there were no names, only the anonymity of slavery and the powerlessness of the ghetto, God makes a human community, gives it or restores to it a territory, calls it by name. These lost people coming back from Babylon find themselves named, and there's a promise that goes with that naming, a a renewed promise to maintain relationship with them, to care for them, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? There you can hear their names on the Lord's lips. Why do you say, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right hand is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, the Lord increases strength. And then there's St. Paul in our second lesson read by Dave Marsh, writing to the Corinthians. Paul is doing an extraordinary thing in this passage. He's seeking the unique particularity of all those to whom he hopes to bring to the gospel. And he's trying to come into a new and closer relationship with them in the name of that gospel. To the Jew, he's a Jew. To those outside of the law, He becomes like one outside the law. To the weak, he becomes weak, and so on. He's pouring himself out, setting himself and his rights and his inheritance aside in order to really encounter the others he is confronted by in all of their particularity. Because that's what Christ did. Paul is now a disciple of Jesus in his classroom. And he's learning about an always particular, always concrete love. A love requiring a response to what is right in front of you, to the demands placed on you by the person right in front of you. Which brings us to Jesus. This morning, Jesus goes to a particular woman's home, Simon Peter's mother-in-law. In some ways, it's an unremarkable miracle. It happened in the small town of Capernaum in the living room or the bedroom. We don't know. 
But notice how Jesus draws near to her and he touches her hand and he raises her up. It's, after all, deeply personal, tender. Simon Peter's mother-in-law, she's not a representative figure. She doesn't stand for anything. She's not a symbol or a concept or an archetype. She's Simon Peter's mother-in-law and she's ill. And she finds herself in Jesus's presence. And he takes her by the hand and raises her up. It's her recreation. It's her exodus. It's her return from Babylon. It's her resurrection. And Jesus has related to her wholly as herself, as the unique and irreplaceable person she is. That's the kind of love that God has for the world. God doesn't love the world in the abstract. God loves the world in its radical particularity. God loves you, not the idea of you. You. The fact that you are a middle child and have never been able to shake your role as the family peacemaker. The fact that you got a tattoo on your ankle in college that you've never let anyone see. God loves us concretely by name. You, the one who loves eating ice cream even when it's freezing outside. You who likes to dance around the house in your socks. You who still knows every word of the movie Grease. You who sits up every time you hear a thrush sing. You who tune out during long sermons. God didn't become flesh to save humanity. God became flesh for you, for me. Do you not know? Have you not heard? It is the Lord who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name. Where there were no names, only the anonymity of slavery, God makes human community. God gives us names. In some ways, that seems one of the great takeaways of the last year. Say their names, the Black Lives Matter movement has bid us. There are no abstract issues. There are names, stories, identities. And it's what moves me so about our outreach here at this church. Mass incarceration isn't just an issue. We know names at MCI Concord. We pray for names there. Housing in Boston isn't just an issue. We've now met Sheena. Saying names isn't just simple acknowledgement. You now have a responsibility to them, a duty. The ministry of Jesus is about saying names, affirming names, and our faith in this Jesus, this person, tells us that God raised this one up. And he's still alive, still knocking on doors, still touching lives, still drawing near, still whispering our names, still blessing our names. And it reminds me of a name of 
a young girl. A young girl who died around 1870 of scarlet fever. This young girl's name was Anne Snelling. She was the daughter of Howard Snelling. You may have heard of Howard's name. He was the first senior warden of this parish, one of the founding members. Again, we don't know much about Howard and Anne's relationship, nor do we know how heavily the, the loss weighed on him. No history book can reveal those kind of particularities of a father's grief. But we do know that when Howard and those first members were deliberating over a name for the community of which we are now a part, there were three choices on the table. St. Hugh's, St. Paul's, and St. Anne's. We know how the decision went. The name of Mary's mother, Jesus's grandmother, Anne, was chosen. But Anne was also chosen because of Howard's precious daughter. The first service of the fledgling little community in Lincoln was Easter Sunday, 1874. And so it goes. Our community was founded by a man, named by a man who had suffered, who had suffered loss, who had had to bury his daughter of scarlet fever. But of course, our founding member had a faith that believed that while his daughter had died, Jesus had drawn close, taken her by the hand, and raised her from the bed of the tomb. That first Easter, gathered as St. Anne's, must have been a very special occasion. And here we are, St. Anne's, still a community of resurrection. Jesus is still stepping into particular bedrooms and actual homes and raising people up, raising us up, we, St. Anne's. God's love for us is particular and present, and surely we've all seen flashes of resurrection this past year. Flashes of resurrection as we've learned how to gather on Zoom, flashes of resurrection as we've blessed our solar panels, as we've done what surely would have been unthinkable to that founding altar guild and stuffed communion wafers into little baggies so that we could continue to have communion together. God loves us in the particular as we've hoisted up unwieldy movie screens and shivered around fires for a service of evening prayer as we've filmed our Christmas pageant, not in the sanctuary, but in backyards and in the fields of Lincoln. Amidst an illness, we've seen how Jesus still draws close, still grabs us by the hand and raises us up. There was a fine article in the Boston Globe back in November about our parking lot even song and the journalist Lucas Phillips, who wrote the piece, ended with lovingly particular words. With the early dark stealing over the church and rain falling on Sunday, their voices were once again joined in song. The voice of prayer is never silent, they sang, nor dies the strain of praise away. 
Mr. Phillips gave us a lovingly descriptive vision for the church of the past year. It was dark, the rain fell, voices were raised. I am so thankful for you, St. Anne's. I'm thankful for the, for the ways you've raised your voices this year. And I'm thankful for the ways we've not just been a church, but a community. There have been times I've logged on to Zoom and forgotten which account I'm using. I don't see my name, but yours. I'm so happy about that. And friends, we shall have a big party planned for when we are all back together. And we shouldn't forget, Jesus moves ahead of us. His life-giving, radically particular love will call us out. He's always naming new people, always asking us to say new names. New unknown names will surely join our gatherings this next year. And it is our joy and our responsibility to live into our name. Witnesses of an always particular love. Participants in real resurrection. Amen.